Hello there. This is the Eloquent in the Room podcast, episode 19, and I'm Rose Cooper. You may remember last time I ended the podcast with this. So when I talk to you again, it'll be after me having taken three weeks off thinking about the podcast and doing other things. And hopefully I'll have something to show for it and I'll burst into that podcast going, hey guys, over the last four weeks I've been doing this, this and this. Hey guys, guess what? For the last few weeks I've been doing this, this and this. But not that. Hello and welcome back. If you have actually just tuned in for the first time, I do advise you, please, go back to previous episodes. If not right back to the very beginning... Please do um, go back to uh, the Consent series episodes. They're all labelled in the show notes what series each episode uh, falls under. Previously, I've done 2020 and Orgasmic Oddity, um, Ixnay on the Ironry Bay, and this one, Adult in Consent, is a series, but I've broken it up with personal stories between interviews because the interviews on the topic have kind of staggered along. Um, They haven't really all come on one on top of the other like they did with Ixnay on the Ainuru Bay. I was really lucky when I decided to uh, interview my son about being bisexual from, from the point of view of me, his mother, also being bisexual. Um, I was able to line up uh, interview with a friend of mine who is bisexual, also non-binary, which gave me the impetus to contact a friend of mine who is a trans woman and interview her about her life. And then I thought, well, while I'm at it, let's talk to um, my other friend who is a trans man. So that series ended up being called Ixnay on the Ironery Bay because it started out being about um, non-gender specific sexuality, bisexuality, pansexuality, whatever you want to call yourself. I'm not going to tell you what to do. Um, But that kind of can't help but be also a gender discussion. So that was serendipitous, the way that fell together. Um, My first uh, series, 2020, An Orgasmic Oddity, was me having stuff that I specifically had to get off my chest. I had a bunch of research backed up. I had anecdotal stuff. I had book stuff, which I drew upon. Ooh, book stuff. And I worked on writing that for several months before I released it as the debut of this podcast back in July of last year. So I've been putting the podcast itself together in an ad hoc fashion, but um, I started out with a lot more purpose to begin with, not knowing what direction I was going to go in. It was just, let's just start talking about orgasm and see what happens along the way. Hopefully we'll also cover the topics of love, relationships, mental health, anxiety, um, consent, 
body positivity, self-esteem, feminism, all that sort of stuff, I do want to fold into it. But at the moment, we're floating on the river of consent. Ahoy there. Back in October, we were talking to Betty Martin, who wrote a book called The Wheel of Consent, which has just been released. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. Um, I'm just recapping at the moment. And then we continued in January, I spoke to Y.O. Lee. We talked about consent in the uh, context of BDSM and that conversation was split over three episodes, the last episode being last time. So there's the quick recap if you just tuned in. And I did want to mention the fact that I did end (laughs) the conversation last time saying, I'm going to get shit done, guys. So the question burning on your lips right now is, Rose, did you get shit done? Fuck Fuck yes. yes. Yes, fellow humans, I actually got some stuff done. Did I also procrastinate? Fuck yes, of course I did. Did I have times where I snapped out of everything for just a few minutes at a time and was completely at peace with who I am, my existence in this world and my important place in my family and friends' lives and and generally think I, me, myself, Rose Cooper was... An amazing and wonderful human being? Yes, I did. For, you know, moments at a time, occasionally. Did I also have moments of self-doubt and anxiety and wonder what the fuck I was doing with my life and what else I probably should be doing and wondering, did it matter if I had the occasional pause to reflect on whether or not it matters if I don't have a life partner or even a regular lover at this point in time? Yeah, yeah, I did. I did. I wondered if it mattered if I was wondering that. Yeah. If I um, if I had a shrug noise, a shrug sound effect, I'd use it right now, but eh, I'm shrugging. I guess I'm just human. Um, I did all the things, including the things that weren't productive. <laughs> but guess what, guys? If I hadn't have signed off my last fucking episode saying I'm going to do some shit, I probably wouldn't have done anything at all. I'm all about the declaration of uh, what I'm about to do. So what's first on the shit I got done list? We're getting ever closer to the moment where I tick my bucket list in a big way. Um, we're very, very close to finalising the cut of a song I wrote about a year ago. I actually woke up with a chorus in my head and then I wrote a song around it. It's kind of how it happens with me. I've only written a few songs in the last six years um, since I took up ukulele. Um, But in most cases, the chorus or a single phrase comes to me and I start singing it subconsciously, you know, like I'll be walking along and I'll just start singing a phrase or a chorus thing and it's weird. Well, this on this occasion I woke up with it and it felt it felt like a thing and I wrote a song around it and it felt like a song, like straight away it felt like a song. I was very, very excited and I raced over to uh, Riley's place, who wasn't living with me then, he is now, and I sang it to him then and he agreed with me that it was in fact a song but it wasn't until we moved in together here over Christmas time 
until we actually had time to revisit it and um, work out how this song was going to go. And, uh, well, I don't want to give too much away because it's not ready to come out yet, but it will be coming out very soon. Um, The recording process has been so much fun. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I feel so blessed to have the opportunity to record a song and have it produced um, in such a way that it actually you know, sounds like a fully produced song. I know I sound like a complete dickhead, I guess, to musicians who go, what the fuck, Rose, recording songs, it's not a thing. It's a big deal if you haven't done it before and uh, that's why I'm going over the minutiae of the uh, process because even the humming songs or waking up with a song, it's, you know, um, if that happens to you and you have never thought about writing songs, maybe you should. If you don't play a musical instrument, maybe you should. Maybe you should go get a ukulele because they are shit easy to play. I'm going to be 60 this year and I'm doing this stuff. So if you're uh, even a fraction younger than me, but if you're a lot younger than me and you're thinking, oh, shit, I, in my heart, want to write songs and I'm not doing it, do it. Just do it. Anyway, so... He's been, uh, we've been sort of workshopping how we want it to sound and it has layers, it has strings, Um, it pays homage to certain influences uh, of mine and his own personal original uh, sort of mixing and um, use of uh, special effects, sound effects and stuff as as he's brought his flavour to it as well. It's been a, a real genuine collaboration of a song I'm just so excited about it, you know. It might not be everyone's cup of tea, but it is a thing. It's it's a thing. It's like this podcast, you know. It's a thing. That's a thing. <laughs> it's not not a thing. Um, so this song will be a thing. So now I have to put a fucking clip together, which will also be a thing. It's These things are statements. Where, like when I first started as a journalist and I had my first um, piece appearing in a magazine – that was such a thing to do. It felt so portentous and important to me. It was, uh, I come from very, very um, uh, low expectation beginnings. <laughs> um, not just my own low expectations of myself, but the low expectations of my parents and stuff, you know, just the youngest of uh, six kids, most of whom were daughters. Just go get married and have kids, you know. Don't worry about it, having a career or being creative or being, a, you know, any kind of actor or musician or singer or commentator or, you know, just just be a woman, just be a girl, do girl things. Yeah, right, fuck that. Um, so now I've got to get my act together and put a clip together. That's going to take some time too. So that's me actually adding another declaration into the mix. Uh, Let's try and put a time on it. I want to try and get it out by the end of March. March? Did you say March? Wait a minute. Did I just say March? Is it March? Oh, my God. March. March. Is it March? Oh, my goodness. Wow. It's been a year since life as we knew it became life as we now know it. Isn't that crazy? You've probably seen those memes around that say um, it's March next week and wasn't it March last week? Like everybody's having this lost weekend together, but it's not a lost weekend. It's been a lost year. But in a lot of ways, it's been a found year. The things we're doing differently 
uh, for the most part, really good things, new and improved things that we probably should have been doing all along. Now, apart from all the COVID stuff, or strictly speaking, the COVID stuff, besides the fact that this time last year we were um, worrying about our jobs, our health, and people were fighting in supermarkets over toilet paper and things, my son and I decided to put a market stall together. He was already selling stuff online. I was starting to be political with the eloquent in the room on Instagram while I was working on the podcast. Uh, So some of the ideas, the political sayings and and, uh, slogans and things that I came up with, we put on some T-shirts and um, decided with his stuff, his cool T-shirts that he designed and some other things, we'd put a market stall together. And um, on that particular day in March, the heavens opened I think maybe we were in trying to sell shit mode for all of about an hour before the heavens absolutely opened and we spent the rest of the time trying to protect our stuff while trying to talk to people as they walked around. But it was raining and it just got worse and worse and heavier and heavier. So in the end we were uh, just having to bail out and trying to keep uh, the stuff from getting wet and dirty and uh, packed it down and left. And um, then COVID happened and we weren't able to try and do another market or even think about doing another market for the longest time until a few weeks ago we decided to put our hand in to do a market um, out close to where we live, out northwest of Sydney. So <laughs> not only have we been putting a song together over the last few weeks, we've also been putting this market stall together. Everything to do with being a creative person doesn't matter what it is. It's a process. It's a time-consuming process of coming up with ideas, throwing out the bad ideas, keeping the good ideas, spending money, buying bits and pieces, planning, ticking boxes, sorting, um, learning new skills. I just bought myself a badge-making machine. Say it with me, folks. Budges? We don't need no stinking budges. I know, right? Um, so I've got some cool slogan badges. I've got queer badges. I'm so excited about my queer badges. Equally excited about my feminist badges as well. And the market takes place next weekend, which is Mardi Gras weekend. So please keep your fingers crossed that it doesn't rain next weekend. Obviously, this time of year, coming into autumn, it does rain a lot. So we don't want it to rain. We've been working really hard on music, on making things, on trying to make something of ourselves while we're at it. So if the Department of Social Security happens to ask you, what's Rose Cooper been up to during COVID times? Tell them I've been working hard trying to make something of myself. God damn it. That's that's the world we're living in right now. <laughs> trying anything and everything to make ends meet. Speaking of making ends meet, this is now the bit in this podcast where I join the bits, namely the previous conversations that I've had so far about consent and the future conversations that I've got coming up about consent. Bear with me because it's really tricky to sew all these pieces together, to knit them all together, to be crafty around it. I'm not sure why I'm using these craft analogies, but um, 
But it feels like I'm pulling strings together to uh, cover all the bases. How's that for mixed metaphors? Fucking hell. Anyway, guess what? Betty Martin's book, The Art of Receiving and Giving, The Wheel of Consent, is out now. You can buy it on Amazon on paperback or you can get a digital copy of it on uh, Amazon. Now, when she and I talked, we talked somewhat about her practice and how it came together for her, how she became interested in the work she's been doing and interested in writing this book, which has taken her 10 years to do. Got to admire the persistence and dedication of that. I'm so in awe. So to best describe what that book is about is for me to take the liberty of reading to you what it's got written on the Amazon website because I really strongly want to impart to you and it's not like I get anything out of this at all except feeling really fucking good about myself that I um, accidentally stumbled on Betty and the work that she does and I have this platform for me to tell people about what she's doing and um, attract you to getting on board with it, buying a book. So this is what it's got written about the book. Why would most people endure unwanted or unsatisfying touch rather than speak up for their own boundaries and desires? It's a question with a myriad answers and one that Dr. Betty Martin has explored in her 40 plus years as a hands-on practitioner, first as a chiropractor and later as a somatic sex worker, certified surrogate partner and sacred intimate. In her client sessions, she noticed a pattern wherein many clients would allow or go along with discomfort or unease rather than speak up for what they wanted or what they didn't want. Betty discovered that there was a major component missing for people. The confidence that we have the choice about what is happening to us. In her framework, The Wheel of Consent, Betty traces the fundamental roots of consent back to our childhood conditioning. As children, we're taught that to be good, we must ignore our body's discomfort and to be compliant, to finish our food even if we're full, to go to bed even if we're not tired, to let relatives hug and kiss us even if we don't want to. We learn that our feelings don't matter more than what is happening and that we don't have a choice but to go along whether or not we want it. As adults, this conditioning remains with us until we have an opportunity to unlearn it, which is why consent violations are often only called out after the violation has occurred, because we have not been taught or empowered to notice our boundaries, much less value or express our internal signals as the unwanted action is actually happening. In this book, Betty guides the reader through the Wheel of Consent framework and shares practices to help us recover the ability to notice what we want and set clear boundaries. In these practices, we discover that the art of giving includes knowing our own limits so that we can be more generous and not give beyond our capacity. We also discover that the art of receiving invites us to notice and ask for what we really want. 
This knowledge and its embodied practice is foundational for creating clear agreements and bringing more satisfaction into relationships. While much of consent education focuses on noticing what we don't want or prevention of violation, Betty has developed a pleasure-forward approach to teaching consent. By first accessing and awakening, sometimes reawakening our body's relationship to pleasure and what we want, we can practice noticing and verbalizing what we don't want. Such an approach provides a more holistic frame in which to unlearn the childhood conditioning that taught us to be silent and compliant, and in which individuals can learn to ask for what they want and state what they don't in a more empowered way. The implications of this approach to consent education extends beyond touch and intimate relationships. When we forget how to notice what we really want, we lose our inner compass. When we continue to go along with things we don't feel are right, we lose our ability to speak up against injustice. This has a profound effect on society. We allow all manner of inequality, corruption, theft of natural resources and our planet's future health because going along with it feels normal. The hashtag MeToo movement exposed the pervasiveness of boundary violations in modern culture. The Wheel of Consent offers a deeply nuanced way to practice consent as an agreement that brings integrity, responsibility and empowerment into human interaction, starting with touch and relationships and further expanding on our understanding of consent to societal issues of equality and justice. So there you go. How's that for putting it into perspective? Could you hear me grinning while I was reading it? Because the comprehensive nature of everything that the book's about and everything about Betty's teachings are about really get to the core of what we are about as human beings and our human nature, not just as um, tactile and erotic beings, but also as people who are... Um, needing acceptance and fearing rejection and um, fearing differences and um, reacting to trauma and all of the things that can contribute to the success or failure of any particular interaction between two humans, whether it's sex or just a fucking conversation where someone says something that they shouldn't say or, or whatever. It's, the nuances, the nuances of this is just... Uh, I live for the complexities of these things. It's really hard for me to um, describe exactly how I feel when it's just me rambling into the microphone. I need, I've discovered while doing the podcast, I really do need to be in the headspace where I'm having a conversation one-on-one -on -one with someone and we get into a sense of flow of the topic and I can articulate myself so much better when I'm doing that. But for the time being... I'm just going with the flow right now and just telling you that that particular passage, reading that, is leading us perfectly into the next podcast. Now, I haven't um, actually uh, recorded the interview yet. That's happening next week. 
And that is an interview with someone who devises programs for parents and caregivers to teach them how to teach young people um, about body autonomy and boundaries and emotional intelligence and all the things that little human beings need to learn in order to protect themselves and to allow themselves to enjoy the fullness of a joyful, pleasurable life without shame and to keep themselves safe with more direct um, conversations and language around the uh, the topic of consent and body autonomy and stuff. I don't think there's much pussyfooting around there with language. Um, I'm interested to talk to her about that because that's where I feel... Um, sex education falls down, particularly for children. It doesn't use direct enough language to protect kids from predators. It just doesn't or it didn't in the past, so I'm hoping it will in the future. Now, I complain a lot about sex education and I complain a lot about the ignorance that still pervades in society about consent and rape culture and all that sort of stuff. But I have to admit that even as a parent myself, um, when my kids were small, I kind of did what my parents did when it comes to um, encouraging, urging, cajoling my children to give my friends or family, their aunts and uncles or whatever, to give them a kiss and a hug hello, regardless of how long it had been since they'd seen that person or knew that person or had no idea who that person was and the idea you give children when you say give them a kiss or a cuddle usually it's followed up with this will make them happy some kind of gesture or way of talking that gives the child the idea that even though I really don't want to do this thing if I do do this thing, it will make that person happy. More importantly, though, it'll make my parents happy. I will get the approval of my parents for doing the thing that they asked me to do that I didn't particularly want to do. And I don't think I ever thought about what the programming of that idea might be about teaching kids about boundaries and body autonomy and I'm sure that there are people of a certain generation um, or certain upbringing or whatever that you know you could have a conversation with now knowing what we know now about things like toxic masculinity and rape culture and uh, consent violations and ongoing consent and all that sort of stuff you're still going to get people to assert that Teaching children to hug adults is not a bad thing, is a harmless thing. Um, but you've got to give the kid context and that's not we're not taught that as parents and as caregivers and as uh, um, big brothers and sisters. We're not taught to teach younger people that there are reasons why they do things or the reasons why we ask them to do things shouldn't just be about us giving them approval and doing things because they will get um, a pat on the back for doing them because we want them to do it. We don't give them a fucking choice <laughs> in the matter. And 
it really makes you think about if you've had any sort of hang-ups in the bedroom um, or when you look back at your sex life or you think about your current sex life or whatever it is and you think about how it plays out in regards to how much of what happens during sex is what you want, what you think the other person wants, what you want to do because it gives you pleasure to do it, what you want to do because you think it gives the other person pleasure if you do it and that gives you pleasure. But not enough is spoken about in regards to what we do or what we're encouraged to do just to make other people happy. Sure, it makes us happy, but to the point where we shut down the little voice or the little pleasure receptacle in our body and in our psyche and don't even notice what is pleasurable and what is not. That description of the wheel of consent nutshells the fuck out of that entire scenario because it speaks so succinctly about conditioning, childhood conditioning. And childhood conditioning leads to teen conditioning and um, that's where everything goes tragically wrong with rape culture and toxic masculinity and all of the stuff that all begins with the influence of our parents and our parents' generation from the moment we are toddlers, it starts. So I'm, like I say, I'm very, very excited to talk to Sarah next week about how to teach kids. But um, I'm just going to finish up sort of with a, a very sobering reminder about how they used to teach kids. Now, in the beginning, uh, 2020 and orgasmic oddity i raised the uh, the little red school book as a uh, a banned publication that was designed to um, talk straight to young people about uh, their education and teachers and drugs and sex and um, orgasm menstruation abortion all of that stuff like you know some of it's not bad some of it's really not bad. Some of it's pretty on point. Um, particularly the very, very comprehensive information about abortion back in 1971 or 69 or whenever it was this book came out. It was very, very straightforward, non-judgmental. You should be able to um, get a legal abortion and um, gives great advice on how to go about doing that. But um, consent, you think there would be uh, something under the topic of consent. Pornography is here. What else is here? Normal and abnormal, so it talks a little bit about uh, homosexuality and stuff in there. Saying that it's normal and that people can be different. It talks about alcohol and other drugs, all that sort of stuff. Consent, is there anything about consent? Nope. There's nothing about age um, of sex or anything to do with um, how, how the sexual transaction comes about. Not at all. However, there is a small chapter, very small chapter, headed child molesters or dirty old men, in inverted commas, if you can believe that. 
So it says, In the old days, people used to talk about dirty old men. This was written in the fucking old days, and it talks about the old days. Children were told they were dangerous. This is rarely true. They're just men who have nobody to sleep with. Aww. Isn't that... What the fuck? Um, There are often stories in newspapers about them. They're often called exhibitionists or child molesters. If it says in the paper that a man behaved indecently, in inverted commas, it means he opened his trousers and showed someone his prick. If it says he behaved with gross indecency, it means he masturbated or got the child to touch his prick. He may have touched the child's sexual organs too. Sometimes these incidents are followed by rape, in brackets, forced intercourse, or violence, or murder. The latter is very rare, and it's usually because the man has got scared. If you see or meet a man like this, don't panic. Go and tell your teachers or your parents about it. Fuck. Like, what? Like, where do you even begin with that? An otherwise fairly responsible tome... Like, I paid it out for the bits it missed out on, like um, women's nocturnal orgasms, you know, women having orgasms in their sleep. I I took them to task on that earlier, but, geez, you know, even these days, not many people know that these things happen. Um, so we give them a pass with that. But that child molesters chapter, Dirty Old Men, kind of talking about it like it's an old wife's tale or if if it does happen it's because someone is lonely it's because someone is sad and needs to take advantage of other people to make them feel better and um, uh, children are advised uh, to not take it seriously at all and um yeah it's it's there's nothing about that absolutely nothing not one shred not one sentence not one syllable not one sentence nothing in that entire paragraph that is anything useful it is everything that is damaging and it reminds me of my childhood too much um the corner shop guy Right, the guy who owned our corner shop where I used to do messages for mum and dad, go and pick up fruit and vegetables and stuff. They'd give me a list when I was a kid. And I'd give the list to the corner shop guy and he would fill it. And he was a fucking child molester. He used to lure kids behind the counter with the promise of lollies and he'd touch them up. And I would... I, look, fuck, I can't even remember if it was me or my sisters or whatever who actually said to mum and dad that this prick was doing that shit. And they're like, uh, I don't think so. That that seems unlikely. You know, it, it was greeted with scepticism, not a sense of fear or um, if he invites you behind the counter, don't go. Or, you know, it was just a kind of swept under the carpet sort of, bullshit thing um yeah 
that's just that's just one tiny little glimpse into the very dysfunctional childhood that I had. That's just one tiny, weeny, itty little bit of unsavoriness that happened when I was, um, you know, primary, no, actually infant school age, like between the ages of five and eight was then when those things were happening. And eventually I got to be to an age where I understood more fully what the fuck was going on, what the fuck he was doing and why, and to keep my distance and to talk about him disparagingly to anyone who would listen, who was my age or younger, keep away from that guy. As a matter of fact, I ran into him when I was about 18. Um, I moved away from that neighbourhood or my parents moved away from that neighbourhood and he was delivering fruit and vegetables to some other shop in my new neighbourhood. And he said hello to me and I said, you know, hello, and I was kind of polite. But I, as I sort of said goodbye, I think we just, you know, hi, how are you, how, how's your mum and dad, you know, just just very polite conversation. As I was walking away, I threw over my shoulder I hope you're not still molesting children. And he looked shocked that I would say that. Um, and, yeah, off I, off I walked, feeling like I was, you know, <laughs> in a movie, walking away from an explosion. I felt pretty proud of myself. Probably could have done a lot more. Everybody knows that um, a lot more can be done in regards to bringing people to justice, but... We're talking 1978, I guess, when I saw him for things that he did 10 years previously or whatever. Um, And it was still a time when no one gave a shit or no one gave enough of a shit about what people were doing to children, about what uncles and aunts were doing to children. People swept child molestation and child abuse under the fucking carpet. There was some really weird enabling shit going on. And yeah, that's a <laughs> that's a tangent I didn't quite realise I was going to go off on except that I knew that I had to approach this bit in a personal way. So I launched into that anecdote not kind of fully realising how it was going to make me feel to talk about it. That's just the tip of the iceberg. Eventually I do want to talk about um, Me Too in the context of Me Too and list every single way in which I had been um, objectified, harassed, abused um, and assaulted. And, you know, I I can talk about things that men have done that would not fly now but were deemed... Um, not that big of a deal back in the day when they happened to me and happened to people my age. So, yeah, I'm so happy to still be alive now and see for myself how society is changing and I'm very happy to try my best in a very small way to um, hold up my own magnifier to what I think people might be overlooking, trying to make it accessible. Um, Some things we've talked about (laughs) have been fun 
it can't always be fun, particularly as we're heading into uh, talking about toxic masculinity and rape culture and Me Too. Um, there will be rough seas ahead. So, uh, yeah, then we're going to get eventually, I think, talking about love, relationships and um, mental health, anxiety. This is where I want to go. I don't want to always be talking about sex. There's lots of people on the internet talking about sex. I'm not the only person. I do have little bits and pieces that I'd like to... um, little uh, appendages, (laughs) appendices, uh, that I want to add to things I've already said on the podcast, particularly uh, about sex and orgasm and stuff, but they're just little tiny snippets of information that I do want to throw out there. I'm going to do that on YouTube. Oh, look um, at that. It's another declaration of intent of something that I'm going to be creative about. Good on me. Good on me, Rose. Go, Rose. Fuck yeah. Gee, you are fired up, aren't you? Fucking hell. Go for it, babe. Do it. Pep talk over. More about um, communicating certain ideas in all sorts of different mediums, uh, and I don't want to do TikTok. I I don't think it's where I want to be, but I'm going to um, come up with some YouTube videos, which I guarantee you will be fun. Definitely will be fun. <laughs> I shouldn't have to apologise for talking about a serious topic and not making you laugh while I'm doing it. Isn't that just a little bit of an indication of how I'm still trying to seek approval, even if it's just, um, you know, softening the blow of the truth of humanity and how it needs to change? I'm simultaneously in a comfort zone and in a extreme discomfort zone. I'm, I'm feeling all sorts of feels when I talk about things that um, happened to me that weren't pleasant and I know that I will have the opportunity I'm in talks with various people at the moment to talk to them about things that weren't that pleasant that happened to them as well so I'm working my way up to a few things um yeah it's not always going to be linear and I didn't want to read an old article or whatever I didn't want it to just be a filler um I wanted to try and um link up what had been said previously with what is coming up next. So please don't forget that I am very accessible. You can slide into my DMs anytime to talk about anything that I've talked about on any of my podcasts. Particularly, though, I would love your feedback on how this consent series is hitting you. I've had some nice messages, particularly about my conversation with Wyo. Um because it was such a joyful experience um, and I was talking about something that was very triggering for me to talk about, but wow, it was really great to um, have my fears um, put up to the light for what they were and they were just cognitive bias. They were just triggers. Um, Social conditioning, cultural conditioning and um, the effect of trauma on me just to have a conversation about consent about BDSM. So I am, yeah, looking forward to next time. Uh, In the meantime, I hope you guys are having a a good time wherever you are. I know that 
restrictions are being rolled back in various places. Most of my audience at the moment do come from the United States and Canada and from the UK and Australia particularly. I know there's people listening to me all over the place as well or are at least downloading the episodes. I don't know how many people are actually listening to them from go to woe. You don't really get that in your statistics. (laughs) You just cross your fingers and hope for the best that people are listening. Um, But without your feedback, I won't know for sure. So I'm getting to the beggy part of the proceedings where I actually go, please drop me a message. Please um, leave a comment on whatever platform you are listening to the podcast on. Leave a comment, any kind of feedback about the um, podcast, drop me a message, send me an email at theeloquentintheroom at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram especially. That's where I'm the most active. Um, Yeah, I want this to be our podcast, The Eloquent in the Room. Let's talk about shit that is tricky to talk about. That's what it's all about. So I'll catch up with you guys on the 16th of March. Happy Mardi Gras, Sydney. Bring your hangover to Rouse Hill Markets on Sunday and say hello.